What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 14 of Big League Chewing, a baseball podcast. My name is Mike Brown. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. On today's show, I'll be talking to Ryan Finkelstein. Ryan is the host of the Locked On Mets podcast. He's also a writer for Slick Sports and Metsmerized. But before we get to that, baseball is back, everybody. Spring training is here. We're about 10, 10 to about almost two weeks in. And, you know, certain players are making themselves felt, others not so much. Players are getting injured. The Red Sox and Yankees are dealing with uh, some injuries already of note. Chris Sale is under, waiting to undergo further tests on his elbow. Never a good sign. Never a good sign. Uh, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, the list goes on for the Yankees. Uh, Severino is out for the season, uh, having to undergo Tommy John surgery. So it seems like the Yankees are kind of following in the footsteps of the 2019 Yankees. Um, and in that, they are already heavily injured, and the season is still a couple weeks out. So on this show, I really want to get into my 2020 MVP predictions for both the National League and the American League. So let's start in the National League, where you have a past MVP uh, switching leagues in Mookie Betts, uh, now uh, manning right field for the Dodgers. And he is my early pick uh, for MVP. You have a guy that has obviously won the award in the past. Uh, He's arguably the second or third best player in the league. And he's also in a contract year. Uh, Mookie Betts will be a free agent at the end of 2020. So he's got a lot to play for. He's obviously on a great team. He's going to see a lot of great pitches uh, being in that lineup that that is very stacked. The team is going to be winning. Uh, which, you know, a lot of voters um, like to say that they don't really vote for um, or that they rely, they don't really vote, rely on, on winning teams for their MVP votes anymore. I mean, Mike Trout has come away with MVP awards in recent seasons where the Angels haven't been contenders, so to speak. But um, I think it always adds a little extra when, you know, you're on a team like the Dodgers. Obviously, Cody Bellinger won last year. Uh, so Mookie is my early, early, early season pick. Uh, for National League MVP. And for the runners-up, I have Bryce Harper and Ronald Acuna. Uh, Harper is a guy that I feel like after his first full season in Philadelphia, um, I I feel like he's going to have a big year. I feel like he's a guy that's kind of, if if at all possible, kind of flying under the you know uh, away from the spotlight, so to speak, at this point in his career. He's not the big name guy you know all all lights on him anymore um you know that and that that goes to the guy that that's third on my mvp ranking uh, mvp ranking for the nl uh and ronald lacuna uh, i feel like he is kind of in many ways uh starting to become the face of the national league along with the guys like fernando tatis and and a few others um so i think harper comes in second in the, in, in the nl mvp voting i think he has a big year Again, uh, I feel like he's no longer kind of the one of the five faces of baseball. He's kind of slowly uh, going to the sidelines, so to speak, in terms of that, in terms of his his popularity, his visibility. Um, but I feel like he has a sneaky, sneaky good year in Philadelphia. Kind of awakens all the doubters uh, from this previous past season, and in a season where he wasn't bad at all, um, a lot of people were kind of down on him this past year. But I think he has a sneaky chance at uh, being the MVP. 
Um, but I have him coming in second place in the, in the NL MVP voting. And then you have Acuna, who is a, you know, appears to be a generational type talent. Uh, he's made a bold prediction heading into this season that he's going to swipe 50 bags and hit 50 home runs, be a 50-50 guy, uh, which sounds a little outlandish, a little crazy. Um, but he's, uh, if anyone could do it, it's probably him at this point. Um, so I have him coming in third in the in my NL MVP voting. And switching over to the American League, where it's basically Trout and everybody else. Um, you know, it's it's you know not to be biased um, with Trout uh, being an Angels guy, but uh, he's he's far and away kind of the best player in the league. Um, you could look at guys like Alex Bregman. You know, Aaron Judge, if he was healthy, he'd definitely be up there in terms of a guy that I would look at uh, as, as a contender. But he's he's been hurt. He's going to be hurt again. He's kind of doubtful for opening day. Um, a guy, a sneaky guy that I'd like to look at. I mean, you also have Francisco Lindor, but the only reason I don't have him here is because I believe he'll be traded midseason, uh, maybe to a National League team, um, which will kind of hurt his value or hurt his, uh, his running for an AL MVP award. And a guy I'd like to, to spotlight here, um, I feel like that goes under the radar, is uh, Yohan Mankata. Uh, he obviously came over a few years ago to the White Sox from the Red Sox in that Chris Sale deal, which, um, you know, with recent news of, of Sale's um, injured elbow, this this deal kind of enters a new light. You know, when the deal first first uh, came about, uh, it was automatically a great win for the, for the Red Sox. You know, they had a, a, a true ace. Uh, they got to the World Series. They won the World Series. Moncada definitely stumbled uh, coming out of the blocks for the White Sox in his first couple seasons. But every season, he steadily increased his production. So last season, Moncada was basically almost a five-war player. Pretty good. Uh, he came in at 4.6 uh, baseball reference war. Um, he cut down on his strikeouts. Uh, in 2018, I believe he led the league in strikeouts with 217 cut those down uh raises that batting average about 80 points hit 315 got on base uh, about 40 points better than he did in 2018 got on base at 367 slugged 548 ops of 915 ops plus of 141 uh and he got a couple mvp votes i think he came uh, 21st in the mvp voting so i think this is a guy that's about to make another huge jump uh as he's done uh over the last couple seasons here he continues to make strides. I think this guy is like an MVP in the making, a superstar in the making, kind of under the radar. But I think he's going to be a huge key to the White Sox success. Uh, and I think he comes in uh, second or third in the in the in the AL MVP voting this season. I think he has a huge year. Um, hits a bunch of homers. Uh, you know, hits for average. Gets on base at probably even a higher clip. Um, and yeah, I think this guy will only get better with the other additions that the White Sox made too. And in, in, in Carnacion, Grandal, I think that makes the lineup a little deeper, a little thicker, so to speak. And uh, I think that only helps Moncada have a monster season. So now I'd like to play for you my interview with Ryan Finkelstein. Ryan, again, is the host of Locked on Mets. He's also part of, he's sorry, also a writer for Slick Sports and Metsmerized. Uh, we talk about the 2020 outlook for the Mets and all that good stuff. So I hope you enjoy. So I am now joined by Ryan Finkelstein. Ryan is the host of Locked on Mets, and you can also catch his writing at Slick Sports and Metsmerized. Ryan, how's it going today? Good. How about you? 
Not too bad. Thanks for hopping on. So uh, the Mets had a relatively quiet offseason uh, compared to years past. Uh, talk to me about the signings of, of Rick Porcello and Michael Walker and kind of how you grade uh, their offseason as a whole. Well, if you look, I mean, you mentioned last offseason. That really played into what the Mets were able to do this offseason. They made that bad trade with the Mariners that sent one of the best prospects in baseball and Jared Kelenic, as well as another prospect, Justin Dunn, for Cano and Edwin Diaz. Neither had great years, and now you have Cano on the books this season, and that really limited their ability to spend. And one thing that people don't really talk about with that trade is last year, the Mets actually saved money on the books by making that deal, sending out Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak and getting money from the Mariners. Now this offseason, they really didn't have that much money to spend up against the luxury tax. Like you said, they bring in Waka and Porcello to deal with the loss of Zach Wheeler. Uh, when it comes to those moves, I think I would have been okay with one or the other. Um, you sign Michael Waka, $3 million, kind of a prove-it deal, bounce back year is what they're counting on. Makes a little bit of sense, and then less than 24 hours later, they commit a significant amount of their budget towards another fifth starter in Rick Porcello. So the combination was something I didn't like. They also bring in Jake Marisnik to replace Juan Lagares in a trade. And then the big move that they made that I actually think really raises the ceiling of this team is the signing of Dylan Batances. If they get Batances to be something close to what he was with the Yankees, that's going to be big for this team. So shifting over to Ioannis uh, Cespedes, who has had kind of a surreal and kind of crazy uh, last couple of years as, as a Met. Um, but he is in camp uh, this, this spring training uh, and could be ready by opening day. They're not really sure yet on that. But what can we expect uh, realistically uh, from Cespedes in 2020? That's the big wild card. And when he's not fighting boars and everything else, when he gets <laughs> on the field, we know what Cespedes can do. In 2015, there was a stretch where he was playing like one of the best players in baseball that propelled the Mets to the playoffs that year. I don't really have any questions about Cespedes when he gets in the box. I know he hasn't seen Major League pitching for a couple of years, but just this weekend, he was facing Seth Lugo. And Lugo, of course, one of the best relievers in baseball last year. He took him yard twice. So I still think Cespedes can't hit, but you're talking about just a ton of lower body injuries he's had over the past couple of years, the ankle surgery. If they can get him on the field, he's going to be a better defensive outfielder than most of the guys that would put in left. And so he would really help this team. If they got 100 games out of Cespedes or even just you know 350 at-bats, however you can kind of break that down, the Mets are going to be much better this season. So outside of Cespedes uh, being in camp, uh, who has surprised you the most so far, kind of in the early days here? Well, when it comes to the prospects, I think there's two to keep an eye on. You have Andres Jimenez, who's a shortstop prospect, probably will play this year in AAA. He seems to be playing really well. He just tore up the Arizona Fall League, uh, where he led the league in hitting. So he's someone that I think Mets fans are very excited about. You have David Peterson, a pitching prospect. First-round draft pick in 2017, I believe. But he looks like he might be getting close to maybe cracking that rotation at some point if an injury opens up a spot. And then the one guy that's really kind of surprised some people is Ryan Cordell, a minor league signing he spent last year with the White Sox. Didn't have 
the best numbers, but he looks the part. He's really athletic, big guy, can play the outfield really well. The defensive metrics are really good on him. So I would expect at some point this year, due to injuries, he's going to factor in. He could break camp with the team if J.D. Davis doesn't get over the shoulder injury that he just sustained uh, last week. So speaking of the roster then and J.D. Davis and some of these guys like Jeff McNeil, uh, et cetera, who, you know, you wouldn't really consider them kind of, uh, you know, flashy leather glove kind of guys who can really pick it more kind of bat first guys. Um, you know, there's a lot of these guys on the roster. So how do you see the Mets kind of navigating playing time between those guys, um, guys like Dom Smith, who don't really have an obvious role? Um, how do you see that kind of shaking out as the season goes on? Well, McNeil is going to be the everyday third baseman. And I know some of the advanced metrics weren't as kind to him on his outfield, but the eye test told you that he was actually a really good player wherever they put him last year, filled that super utility role, did a great job with it. But now he gets to play third base every day, which I think will be good for him on a number of different levels. He had a couple hamstring injuries last year. So now that all-star can focus in on one position where I think he'll be a little bit better. It kind of reminds me of Javi Baez where he kind of played all over the dime with the Cubs. They yeah. finally, you know, planted him at shortstop and then the defense really shone through. I think McNeil is going to surprise a lot of people with his defense at third base. And then when you talk about Smith and Davis, that's probably my biggest concern with this team is left field. I think a lot of people forget about the defensive side of things and they just look at the offensive numbers and right. neither of those guys were good in the outfield. I mean, they were like league worst outfielders last year. So if you don't get Cespedes healthy and the two of them are platooning out there, that's going to impact this team in the margins in ways that people probably don't understand. So shifting to the rotation, um, you know, this is obviously a big year for Noah Syndergaard uh, in terms of trying to turn the corner finally. You know, he's have, he's always kind of had flashes of greatness, um, but we haven't really seen that full, real kind of Cy Young caliber season from him yet. So what do you expect from him in 2020? Um, how low or high are fans on him right now at this point in time? So on and so forth. Well, fans are always going to love a pitcher who looks like and is named Thor. So <laughs> the fans are always going to have high expectations for him. This is a guy that 2016, after the Mets went to the World Series, people might forget that Jacob deGrom got hurt that year, and Noah Syndergaard was the ace of a staff that found their way into the playoffs. I think his ERA plus might have been the best in the National League that year. And since then, we just haven't seen him put it together for a full season again. There's been some injuries. Last year, he was healthy, but was definitely up and down. The one thing I will say about Noah Syndergaard is he is the one pitcher, despite the fact that Jacob deGrom is incredible, he's that one pitcher on the Mets that will just come out one day and completely overpower a lineup and throw like a complete game shutout with 90 pitches. I mean, he right. has the stuff. Question is, can he put it all together? I think he's been primed for a breakout for some time. But you're getting to the point where you're just not sure if that breakout full season is going to come together. 
So shifting to another rotation piece and Steven Matz and, you know, Matz was part of kind of that group that came up around all at the same time within a year of each other with DeGrom and Syndergaard and Wheeler and Matz. It was kind of the, you know, those four guys were projected to do big things, you know, over the course of the, of a few years for the Mets. And obviously, you know, they ran into injury problems with, with all of them basically. Um, so looking into 2020, it seems like Steven Matz now is kind of, you know, on the outside looking in regarding getting a rotation spot. Kind of how did he end up in this position, and, and where do you see him fitting uh, in 2020? I'll tell you, for listeners of my podcast, I know this is something that's pretty infuriating to me because I did a podcast last week, and you have Waka, Purcello, and Mats, and there was this recent article that was published basically saying that the Mets were thinking about using Waka and Mats in some form of a matchup role in that fifth spot in the rotation where they would start one guy, one you know, to turn through, and another guy, depending on the matchups. And that basically gave Porcello the fourth spot in the rotation when Steven Matz, if you look at the numbers last year, was the best starting pitcher of the three, and it really wasn't even close. I mean, the only metric that Porcello favored Matz was walk rate, but you go to strikeouts, ERA, FIP, WHIP, all of it, it shows that Matz should be that fourth starter. So the reason he's in this position is is because of the way the Mets are run as an organization, the $10 million that Porcello is making is basically putting him into the rotation. Sure. And then Michael Waka was a CAA client of the Mets' current general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, and that seems to be some form of nepotism or favoritism right, that has right. him angling for that spot. So I actually just saw an article that was literally like just posted by the New York Post talking about Matt's potentially being traded to the Yankees. So that's something that's on the table now, the Mets believe they have flexibility to maybe move him. So I don't know if something's going to come together there, but his spot is definitely not guaranteed. So looking at the NL East as a whole now uh, in 2020, you know, obviously the Braves got a little deeper with their bullpen. They obviously added Marcelo Zuna. I think the Nationals kind of maybe take a little bit of a step back, but you can kind of never really tell with them. Um, and then you have the Phillies, who, of course, you know, added Zach Wheeler, added Didi, Didi Gregorius. There's still some rotation questions there um, and maybe some depth questions there with kind of the position players. So um, where do you see the Mets uh, filling in uh, in 2020, kind of situating themselves in, in the division? Well, what I've been saying is I think the Mets have the best puncher's chance to actually take on the Braves. The Braves are going to be the favorite. And no one's questioning that they have. The organizational depth, they've won the division two years in a row. But I think the Mets have the best collection of talent that could break through and actually contend for the division. When I look at those other two contenders, the Nationals, like you said, they're coming off a World Series. Those pitchers threw a lot of innings. You saw Scherzer start to break down a little bit. I don't know how they're going to come in this season. They lose Rendon. I have some questions about them. On paper, I would say their roster stacks up pretty evenly to the Mets. And then the Phillies, I just did a whole series of podcasts where I went through and I broke down the different positional groups. So who had the best outfield in the division, infield, starting pitching. And the Phillies were coming up last in a lot of those rankings. Yep. You know, they look at the rotation, like you said, you have Wheeler and Nola, what else? I mean, I can't name a Phillies reliever off the top of my head. <laughs> and I mean, you know, like you said, Didi Gregorius, does he bounce back? I think he does, but that's not a sure thing. So I think the best part about the Phillies is their manager. I think Joe Girardi is going to be great. And so that could propel them to be a really good regular season team. But I really do think that when you 
kind of rank it out. I would say it's Braves, Mets, and then the Nationals and the Phillies right there. Either one of them could contend, but I just think the Mets have the best shot out of those three. Yeah, you know, the Mets kind of always on paper, you know, tend to always look like, you know, heavy favorites heading in, you know, the last, you know, five, six years now. Um, but, you know, always something always tends to kind of go awry or go wrong, um, you know, halfway through the season or, or something tends to kind of, you know, come out of nowhere and affect the Mets in some disastrous way. Um, but, yeah, you know, on paper, you know, the Mets do do look good. They do look poised to kind of be right there with the with the Braves, um, you know, depending on a few things, the rotation and, and, and all that kind of stuff. All right, Ryan, where can people uh, find you online, find you on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff? Well, they can find my podcast, Locked on Mets, wherever you get your podcast, just search it up. And then you can find me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. Perfect. All right, Ryan, thanks for hopping on with me today. Yeah, no problem. So great stuff from Ryan Finkelstein there on all things Mets heading into 2020. That'll do it for this episode, episode 14 of Big League Chewing, a baseball podcast. My name is Mike Brown. Thank you so much for stopping by. If you love the show, if you love baseball podcasts, be sure to give me a review, five stars, anything would be great over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much, and I will see you guys next week.